Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we do pray, God, that you would open up fresh revelation to each one of us as we spend time studying your word or even talking about and observing what your word says. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us principles. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, in these troubled times, we ask, Lord, that your word would speak right in the middle of where we are and what we need. We know you have the answers. You're the one that brings the solutions. You know the end from the beginning. Nothing surprises you. And so what we ask, Lord, is that you give us your prophetic wisdom. We ask that scripture would come alive. We pray, God, that you would give us next steps, that you would give us encouragement, conviction, and your instruction. We want to follow you. And we we make that confession at the onset of our studying of your word. We don't just want to know more. We, we want to live in, in the center of your will, knowing that we're following what you've said. We're seeking to do what you desire. And as a result of it, we will see the fruit that comes and that's attached to obedience to your word. And so today, use this time for your glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Today, we are in Joshua chapter 16, 17, and 18, and we will also be looking at Philippians chapter 2. I'm excited about it. Why? Because we're excited about the Word. We know that it's not just our Word, it's not good suggestions, but this is God's holy Word, and He has given it to us for a reason. And in these troubled times, what more could we ask for than God's will and God's wisdom? And where do we find that? We find that right here in his word. If you have a Bible, you've probably opened up to Joshua chapter 16. And as we talked about yesterday, we've begun to see in Joshua where they've entered into the land of Canaan. They begin to enter into some of the wars as they dispossess the people in that land. According to the word of the Lord, which we read in Deuteronomy, when Moses was giving the instructions and the commands of the Lord, now we're watching the fulfillment of that. They're walking out what God had told them to do through Moses. And we come to this place where actually what we see is the dividing of the land. We read about that yesterday, and we're also going to read about that today. And I'm going to summarize Joshua chapter 16 for you. And I've made some notes, and I believe maybe some of you have as well. But in Joshua chapter, chapter 16, what we're seeing is the territory of Ephraim being divided. And this is where their land is being allotted to them what land that they're going to receive, how far their boundaries would go. And it's interesting, at the end of that conversation, there's 10 verses in chapter 16. I want to focus on verse 10, because this is an important point that we need to make, not only for chapter 16, but also for chapter 17, and as we're going to see in chapter 18 as well. Now listen to this. This is what it says in verse 10. But they, the Israelites, did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezar or Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Now, this is an interesting passage that we read about because it seems like there's a compromise that has happened. When you read 
For example, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, we see very clearly that the Lord's instruction was for the people of Israel to drive out those that were living in the land of Canaan. Originally, this land was given to Israel. This is now the inheritance of the Lord to his people Israel. That's why they're coming back. But there are a people that, that is living there now. God sent them, said, dispossess the people in the land. And there's a point at which he also says, I want you to wipe them out. Now, a lot of people struggle with the Canaanite conquest, the 50 to 55 battles that we read about in the book of Joshua. And there is some struggle that we would obviously have. We're so far removed from that culture. We're so far removed from really what they had to face and what they were up against. Remember, they were an enslaved people for 400 years in the land of Egypt. And now they're coming out back into their promised land. It was the land that they were originally given. And as they're going in to dispossess the people of that land that are now living there, do not originally own it, we might say, well, why why would God have the Israelites wipe them out? Why would God say those kinds of things? And that's a valid question. We never want to actually put down that question, act like it's insincere or disingenuous or somehow lacking faith. It doesn't lack faith to ask questions. There's a difference between asking someone a question and questioning someone. You know, you can interrogate someone versus actually asking them a question. And the difference is always humility. And we're going to read about that in Philippians chapter two today. But humility is the key when we're seeking to truly understand something It requires humility to ask that question because we genuinely don't understand and want to learn. And I pray that's what we all are as disciples of Jesus. As we open the word and we see that we don't understand something, why all the wars, why all the battles, why dispossess the people, why wipe them all out? Well, one reason we've got to remember this is that this was as a result of God bringing about divine judgment that was his justice. And God did bring about justice by using one people to come against another people. There were times where God of his own hand would bring about justice. We read about that in scripture time and time again. And there are many references to that where God moves supernaturally, signs, wonders, miracles, or even just some kind of divine like hailstorms and all, all kinds of things like that. That did happen. But God would often bring another nation against one in order to bring about his justice. He was rendering a judgment. He was bringing about justice for a people. And this was so, this is important for us to realize that, that scripture actually says this quite a bit. And so we believe that God is actually bringing about justice against the people in the land of Canaan. And so while we may not understand fully why, thinking that maybe there's another way of going about this. Um, We just have to trust that God in his perfect and infinite wisdom knew exactly what he was doing, why he was doing it. And it was right and righteous because we trust him. But this is what it says in verse 10, as I've said, is that they didn't drive out those that were living in the land of Canaan. They actually ended up dwelling with them. Those people were among them and they made them force laborers. So instead of doing what God said, they compromised, they capitulated. And what it says in Deuteronomy, if you do this, if you make an alliance with the people, if you compromise and allow for them to dwell among you, they will be a thorn in your side. And as we're going to read in the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, especially, which will be in the weeks to come, we're going to see that what God told them 
if they did not obey him, that this is exactly what's going to happen. And I think this is going to be a principle for us. The warnings are very important. God told them the things that they needed to understand. He warned them, if you don't follow what I'm saying, regardless if you understand it or not, because I know things you don't know, if you don't do that, then you're going to have problems in the future that you will not be able to rid yourself of. Now, warnings in the Bible are very important, regardless of how well we understand them. And we're living in an age today where understanding and knowledge is king. And and, and rather than trusting God, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one, the all-knowing one, the, the, the one that's everywhere and at one time, at the same time, he knows everything, the past, present, and future. This is it really important for us. We also, I want to point out to you in Joshua chapter 17, where we read also the the allotment to the people of Manasseh, of the tribe of Manasseh. This is their Israelites, one of the tribes. And so now they're dividing the land to this tribe. And we read the same exact thing. I'm going to read to you in verse 13 in chapter 17 of Joshua. Listen to this. It says, the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites, this is verse 12, persisted in living in that land. It came about when the sons of Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. And so here's this idea that they, they, these people were strong. And so it would cost us too much to do what God told us to do. And so they compromise. As a result of compromising, again, in in Judges, we're going to read what that costs the Israelites. It costs them quite a bit. Now, the principle that we can take away from this, because in chapter 18, we just continue to read the the dividing of the land. The, The principles we can take away is, are there things that God has told us that we have not followed through on? And can we see that that compromise has actually cost us a lot more than we may realize? Have we seen that us capitulating and allowing for things to remain in our life? Now, I know I'm, I'm definitely making this an illustration and it was a physical and now I'm making it spiritual. But I think still this is important because we're talking about following the word of the Lord. We're talking about obeying God's word. Is there things that God has told us to rid ourselves of? Now, we know in the New Testament, we're talking about idolatry. We're talking about malice. We're talking about selfishness. We're talking about these things that God points out, calls us to deal with, have we done so in a way that is in keeping with the word of God? Or have we allowed those things in our lives, compromised, capitulated to them, and now they've become that perpetual thorn in our side? Is that the reality of what we're facing right now? Are we dealing with and struggling with things as a result of simply not doing what God told us to do? And I I think this is a really important consideration for us to make right now. As we look at, as we listen to, as we think about what they did, we need to consider ourselves. We need to consider if there are things right now that that are just eating away, eroding our spirituality, eroding our life with the Lord, maybe the life that he's called us to live, the calling that he's given to us, the gifts that he's put into our life, the relationships and the influence that he wants us to have for his glory and his namesake. Is there something in our life that's caused a compromise for that fruitfulness to continue to grow through in and through our lives. If so, we need to deal with that. We need to go back to the place of God's word to us and repent. Repentance is such a gift, isn't it? Something we're going to see when it comes to the Jebusites 
and the tribe of Benjamin is that Jebus was where Jerusalem is. And it wasn't until King David came. We see this actually later on in the story or in the scripture as it unfolds. But the tribe of Benjamin did not dislodge the Jebusites and they became such a thorn in their side. They occupied that hill country, which we know as Jerusalem. And David, as a king, one of the first things that he did is he had to rise up against the Jebusites and the Jebusites even mock him when he comes to their gates and David comes against them when he comes into his kingship. And as the Jebusites are considering, are you even going to try this? Like they mock David and David then wipes them out. It was the first thing that he had to do to become king. He's like, if we're going to advance, if we're going to do what God told us to do, then we've got to reclaim the promises of God and the inheritance that God said that we were to have. Now, there are things in our life that God has said are that we are supposed to walk in. It's our inheritance. And let's just face it, we compromise. And so the, the question today is, what are those things? What have we allowed in our life that is just eating away at what God said that we are supposed to have? And right there is where we actually change theology. You know, there's so many different types of theology. And the reason that some of it exists is not because it's really what the word says. It's what it's our version of the word because we cannot understand how our life is today and the way things are going for us because of the decisions that we have made in the past. And our life has been built upon compromise. And so in that vacuum of time or in that space where we're not experiencing inheritance, we're not experiencing fullness, we're not walking out in this increasing growth and development and kingdom advancement. When we're not seeing that, what we realize is that there often is compromise embedded into our foundation. And we have to rid ourselves of that. We have to rid ourselves of idolatry. We have to rid ourselves of the things of which we have not followed through on. And we do that through repentance, God's gift to us. Repent and be restored. Repentance is about acknowledging our agreement with a lesser truth, right? Something that is not true, something that is a lie. We acknowledge that we have agreed with a lie and we shatter that by renouncing it and saying, I now renounce in the name of Jesus, my alliance and my agreement with that lie and my sin and my participation in that sin. And now I profess the truth of God, whether it be an issue of deliverance or it be an issue of inheritance. What has God called you to have? What has God called you to stand in and walk in, whether it's personal freedom in the Lord of our soul or it's advancement for his kingdom and his glory through his purposes, whatever it might be, we want to rid ourselves of compromise. Amen. Moving on, we want to look today also a little bit at Philippians chapter two. And this is such a very powerful letter that the apostle Paul writes. Again, I want to remind you that Philippians was written by the apostle Paul. He was in prison when he wrote this letter, several letters, actually, we call them the prison epistles. You probably know this but I wanted to bring us back to the concern that here the Apostle Paul has when he's in prison. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the church. He's thinking about others. And that really is the theme of chapter two. It's selflessness. And who better to write from that perspective than obviously well, Jesus Christ, but Paul wanting to emulate the one that he's following in the Apostle Paul. We see a selflessness in him that is not only admirable, but it's worth emulating 
And that's what we really want to look at uh, today. Paul's writing to them with several concerns. One of them is he sent his friend Epaphroditus to them, and there was an exchange of letters that went back and forth that we actually don't read about. So we know that Epaphroditus came to the Philippian church. Paul was very dear to that church. He, he knew many of them. He helped start those churches. He was with them at their very onset and their beginning. And so he's concerned because he's heard about the potential division that has taken place. And that, I believe, is what we're going to read about. So I'm just going to start in verse 1, chapter 2, the letter of Philippians. Here it is. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then verse 3, look at this. Do nothing from selfish ambition, some verse, some uh, translations say, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who the, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now he's going to talk about the incarnation of Christ. He says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He goes into talking about the incarnation. Many scholars believe that what is found here to verse 11 is actually a song that was recited, that was written. And the Apostle Paul is simply reciting that. And so we continue to read, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, glo to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. Now this, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, that's the coming of Christ, I will have no reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me." I want to focus on simply a few things. And once again, Paul's dealing with division. This is so important because this chapter is what he's really getting at. He's trying to help them understand why division doesn't make sense in the body of Christ. Simply doesn't make sense. It's not who we are and it's not who we're following. Jesus himself walked in a certain way. He was united with the Father in the Father's purpose. And so for us, we too, as we're united to Christ, we have to ensure that we are following and fixed on him and his purpose. And there are a lot of things that get in the way of that. There are a lot of reasons why, why we can walk this way or walk that way. We get deterred in life. 
we get distracted, we get distorted. But Paul is trying to make it very clear that Jesus Christ is our example. He's the pattern of our life and not just the payment for our sins. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but with humility of mind, regard others as better than yourselves. I, I actually believe this is the definition of love, or a very clear definition of love, I should say. To regard others as better than yourself. How better could we actually define love? That really is what it means. To love someone else is to put them first. It's to put them before ourselves. When we think of loving our neighbor as ourself, it's it's not saying that as we love ourselves, so we shall love them. It's saying that as we naturally always seem to put ourselves first in our needs, whether that is food or taking care of ourselves from the time we get up to the time that we go to sleep. It's actually having such a mindset where the people in our life, we are thinking about them. We are thinking about what we can do for them. We're thinking about what they're going through. We're thinking about where they're at, how they're experiencing life and what we can do in order to be present for them. And this is so important. And, and I want to remind you that it's not just, love is not just defined as, um, as a feeling. It's not defined as just having the best interests of others in mind, disconnected from the purpose of Christ. See, here's the thing. Jesus did not just come to be a good person. Jesus did not just come to show us how to be good people. Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice. That's the full extent of love so that we could be redeemed back. And we've got to remember that our love is also connected to our purpose. It's not disconnected from purpose. Sometimes people define love in a way where it isn't connected to purpose. Well, that would be strange if Jesus just came to show us what having a good life was like, or Jesus just walked the earth and he showed what good men looked like so that we could say, oh, well, this is what goodness looked like. See, he didn't just do that to do that. He lived life as a sinless human being. Then he gave his life to show us the full extent of love, but there was a purpose attached to it, that those who believed upon him could be restored back into relationship and actually be filled with the Holy Spirit and come back into their created purpose for which we fall short right? We all fall short of the glory of God because of our sin. And there's only one redeemer. There's only one way of redemption of setting us back right into our purpose and our created intent from which God created us from the beginning. And so all of our goodness and all of our love and all of that we get, all of our interest in others, putting them first is attached to such a greater purpose. And that's that people would not merely know Christ, but that they would become who he made them to be. This is our agenda. We have an agenda, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't have an agenda in your goodness and in your good works, you ought to, because Jesus himself did. And that's what makes, uh, that's what makes it so compelling for us to actually be people that will be sacrificial. When we look at do nothing out of selfish ambition, we cannot live our life just merely thinking about ourselves. Selfish ambition may mean being right in our own eyes, or we want other people to think that we're right. It also could be control and manipulation. Selfish ambition will lead us to get something out of it for ourselves. We want everyone to think we're smart. We want everyone to think that we know more than others. We want to win the debate. Isn't that kind of what's happening right now? Everything is spinning right now. 
even in the body of Christ. I don't even want to talk about the world. Let's just talk about the body of Christ. Things are spinning and they're spinning so fast, aren't they? And I even just posted a question about reopening Washington State yesterday on my Facebook. And I did that partly because I just wanted to listen to everybody, number one. And I believe when we listen, we can learn. Number two, I just wanted to see where the difference of opinion lies. And I'll tell you, man, everybody shared very different viewpoints. And you can also see that there's a different emphasis. Some people emphasize things that matter to them. Some people emphasize things that matter to others. Some people emphasize both. Some people emphasize things that you might consider lesser or or more. And some people actually had the, the concerns of society and some had the concerns of you know, older people and vulnerable people and so on and so forth. I think generally speaking, everybody seems to want to be concerned about more than just themselves. But you can see that right now, self-preservation is at an all-time high. That's for you and that's for me. Let's just go ahead and be honest. We're worried about what's going to happen to me, our job, our business, our kids. We're worried about what's going to happen to our country, our rights, all of that. We're concerned about all of that. But here's the question that I have for you. And I know I get in trouble for this, guys, but I'm, I'll die on this hill. Are we as concerned that people are going to an eternity without God? Are we as concerned that people are entering in to this eternal destination when they die without having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that when people cross the threshold of death, that there is no return, that you're either with him or you are without him? I want us to have an outcry for that because whether we are shut down or we are open up, whether the government is controlling us or they are allowing us to roam free, there is something that nobody can control. And the Apostle Paul is proving that. He is telling this people and those that he wrote to when he was in prison that although I am in chains, the gospel of Jesus cannot be imprisoned. Can I say this to you this morning? The gospel of Jesus, the word of God, cannot be imprisoned by a structure, a system, a government, or a man. Nobody can hold back what God has done in Christ and what God wants to do through his people. But we have to be focused on our mission. We have to remember that right now it is not about self-preservation. It is about gospel preservation. It is about following Christ. He goes on to actually give us the example of Jesus. And remember, the incarnation of Jesus was that Jesus Christ, the Son, the eternal Son of God, left his place in glory. He came into the likeness of a man, was born through the Virgin Mary. He emerged into this world as a vulnerable child, was raised up among us, lived a sinless life to the point where he would be obedient as a person, as a man, to death and death on a cross, a criminal's death. He did all that, not because he had to. He subjected himself to this punishment and how severe it was. He did all that because of the joy set before him. He was thinking about us. He was willing to give his life. He was willing to be a sacrifice. He was willing to come in one of the most oppressed, really occultic, paganistic empires in the world. Here he comes into this Roman empire 
where his own people, the Jewish people, had compromised and capitulated underneath that regime, trying to work with them to have what they wanted. And here Jesus steps into the middle of all of that and confronts the pagan and, and the religious leader. And he steps into the middle of that and shows us the real way of God. And the real way of God is not just that concern. And I'm not saying I'm being passive here, but it's not as concerned about individual rights as he is about every person coming back into relationship. We, we are right now, every person, every human being on the planet is orphaned. We are, we have an orphan spirit until we come back into relationship with our heavenly father of which Jesus paid a high price. And now the apostle Paul is saying, you guys in the church are divided over all of these things. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be known for what you're united over. You are united over the purpose for which Jesus himself came. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for this one thing. And he actually says that to him, doesn't he? Look at what he, look at what he says. This is verse five. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, which is also in Christ Jesus, the mind of Christ. There's no buts. There's no add-ons. Do we have the mind of Christ? There are times where I get a lot of emails and I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm making a parallel to our times. And I, I just think it's so important. Not because I have all the answers, because I will readily admit to you that I don't. But I, I get a lot of messages from some of you that might uh, be engaging with me on the daily word right now. And I'm grateful. I, I would say to you this, listen, send me the messages that are on your heart. I am responsible to the body of Christ, particularly Northwest Church, to listen to the people that God has connected me to. I do not have the authority to lord it over anybody, and that is not what I will do. I am here to serve, but I will tell you that as I've given access to the body of Christ, that I get a lot of messages, and I read your messages. I really do. Now, if you send me a lot of 50-minute clips, I can't watch everything. I try to watch a few minutes and there are times where I have to put stuff away and, and, and I kind of get the flavor of, of where it's going. But I, but I would tell you that there is a lot of division right now. As I'm reading these messages, as I'm hearing from the heart, my job is not necessarily to know how everything is supposed to be. I can tell you that, that there are a lot of things that I don't know right now. And I know that's an invitation for some to further inform me. And, and I'm not against that, but I want to tell you that um, I'm, I'm not into compromise and I'm not into capitulating and I'm not afraid of the government and I am not afraid of, of somebody trying to censor me. I'm not afraid of somebody not liking me and you shouldn't be either. But what we should fear is we should fear God. We should fear that maybe we are not focused on the right thing right now. We should fear that it is possible that we get distorted and times of crisis manifest pre-existing conditions of which we, you and I, the body of Christ, have not been sacrificial toward the world that is dying and on their way to an eternal destination without God. We've got to get our priorities in line with the Lord. Now, I may not know how some of those things are as it relates to being an American and sticking up and standing up for our rights. One of the things I love about being in a democracy is we get to engage our civic leaders. Isn't that amazing? Yesterday, I talked to the mayor of Federal Way through several email exchanges. And, uh, and him and I probably see things quite a bit differently, but I got to engage with them. I wonder how many complaints are being lodged without clear communication being given. Now, here's, I want to tell you another thing that I did. Now, as I'm talking about, I'm talking about unity, um, I just think respectfully, I put together 
uh, reopening church gatherings proposal for Washington State, namely King County. Okay, that's what it is right here. Okay, last night while my kids and family were watching a, a video, I just decided that I wanted to write out a proposal. Now I'm going to send that to the governor and I'm going to send it to our mayor because I wanted to do something within a democracy. Romans chapter 13 tells me that I do not have the right to come out of submission of our governing authorities unless it compromises the clear mandate that I have to go and make disciples and preach the gospel and obey God rather than man. But I have to be very clear about what I'm using when I'm saying that because my mandate to share and show the gospel is not the same thing as sticking up for my individual rights as an American. And there's a clarity. Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen when he was about to get flogged. He was, up, he was about to get flogged and he said, you can't do this to a Roman citizen. And that was the right time to do that. But you'll also notice he was a citizen, he was a Hebrew. And he says in Philippians chapter three, which we're gonna read tomorrow, he actually says, I consider a lot of what I was dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and having the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He was so yoked and united to Jesus and his purpose that he was willing to give his life for that. What I want to know is, are we giving our life, our time, our affection, our devotion, our posts, our perspective to the right thing? That's the question that I, I genuinely have. When it comes to the civic arena, the political arena, I think a lot of us, I think sometimes we've just allowed ourselves to be polarized by other voices that do not have the same intention that we read about, have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Can we say that definitively, clearly? with conviction that my life is bound up in the thing that Jesus himself came for. And because I think when we have that mind, and, I, and I'll, I'll admit, I need more of the mind of Christ right now. It's why I haven't said as much as, as maybe I, I people would like me to. But I can tell you this, I'm doing stuff behind the scenes and I pray that you are too. If you have complaints when it comes to your individual freedom and your rights as an American, I pray, put together some proposals, sign mine. Let's send some stuff to the governor, but let's do it in an attitude of, of humility. Let's do it with love and respect, but clarity. You know, I'm, I'm asking for some very specific things. I'm very clear about what I think right now. And I'm asking for, because I think as, as a pastor, as a leader, I want to make sure that I speak on behalf of our congregation. But I want to say also that as a gospel presenter, as a pastor, as a leader, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, I've got to be very clear that my priorities are straight because that to me is what it's all about. And so I've shared with you a little bit about that and I don't have the answers for everything, but I think as a body of Christ, we've got to make sure that what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And what unites us is having the same mind of Christ. And he goes into telling us what that is, that he was willing to give up everything and come in order to give himself so that everyone or anyone might be able to come back into that relationship? Are, are we willing to sacrifice like we see in Jesus? So then he goes on to say in verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. We've got to work out our salvation. We've got to work out what it means to walk in relationship with Jesus in this world, a world of conflict, a world of division, a world of difficulty, a world of tension. We hold these tensions all the time that maybe some of you that are watching are not American citizens. And so you're tolerating me saying this, but, but we're American citizens. We're residents, some of us, of King County. We're in the middle of 
of stopping the spread of COVID-19, many disagreements about how that's being done or what that even is. Now, here we have this tension, and then, and then we have this tension of we're, we're gospel recipients, we're disciples, we're followers of Jesus, we're united and yoked to his heart to accomplish the mission which he has set us on. He's called us to make disciples. He's called us to preach the gospel. He's called us to take it to the ends of the earth and hopefully to the ends of our neighborhood, our county, and our state. Sometimes we hold the tension of having both and being both. And we've got to know at times that when we're divided, that, that we're divided for the right reason. Sometimes division is inevitable, but is it division over the right things? Because our uniting is so vital and it's so important. It's what he spoke to them about. And he wanted to make sure they were united in Christ for the very purpose of Christ, for which Christ came. But if I, he goes on to say, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share with you my joy and with all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And he goes on to talking about sending Timothy to them and how to receive him. And he says here in verse 30, but it talks about um, Timothy and his struggle. But I just want to simply say uh, some things. Having the mindset of Christ is what we need right now. I'm not claiming I have that fully. I'm not claiming I have that uh, 50%. What I am saying is I'm seeking that. Will you seek the mind of Christ with me? As we look at our daily word, as we, as we live our daily life, what we're asking is, God, would you give us your mindset? Will you help us to hold the tension that we have right now, that we feel right now? Clearly, as, as from my own post on social media yesterday, you can see that there's a, so much division among those that profess Christ. There's so much division. But is our uniting stronger? There's only one thing that's going to unite us stronger than our divisions, one thing, and that's to follow the way of Jesus Christ and to be about why he came. And this is not just for evangelists. And that's what I get tired of hearing. This is not merely for those that um, are preaching the gospel as, as a profession. This is, this is all of us. We are on mission with Jesus. and We have one life in this world, on this earth, to give God glory in all that we say and do. And I want to make sure that anybody that ever listens to me takes that as seriously as possible. Are we convicted today? I hope so. I hope so. Are we encouraged today? I pray that we are. You know, are we instructed? I, I hope that we're instructed to seek the mind of Christ, knowing we have the mind of Christ, but asking him to help us to understand the tension. God, would you give us your heart? Would you help us understand the tension that we live in? And knowing that that's not going to go away anytime soon. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it go away. And I'm not acting like it should. In fact, I'm okay with people that disagree with me. As long as we can unite around the same, the things that matter the most, I'm not. I'm not del delusional anymore. I realize the disagreements that exist. I'm trying to listen, but here's the thing: sometimes selfish ambition looks like me trying to control everyone else, and that's convicting. That's reality right now. Is that a lot of people are speaking louder and speaking over one another because they are into self-preservation and they want to control everyone else because a controlled environment to them might be a safe environment. Friend, don't let that happen to you. Just embrace the fact that people differ, but what we cannot differ on is what Jesus is all about. That's what his people are all about. And that's what I'm advocating for today. I am not asking everyone to come into alignment with my political views, whatever they might be. I'm, I don't know if you would disagree with me, but 
or whatever my views are on current situations and how the government could and should or shouldn't play this out. What I realize is that I have a responsibility first in my allegiance to Jesus and his purpose, whether I'm a pastor or not. Secondarily, I am an American citizen. So there are things that I need to do, things that I am doing for me and my family, but also for the people that are that God has entrusted me to and to me. And I believe that's what I'm responsible to do. Now, I will close by saying this. Tomorrow night at Ignite Service, Ignite Gathering, Wednesday, 7 p.m., Northwest Church, you can go online. Our website is nwcfoursquare.org. Join us online if you're part of our church or if you're even interested. But for those of you that are part of our church, please join us online tomorrow. And please invite other people to join us online because I'm going to share with you my perspective during these times. I think I owe it to our people. I owe it to our church to talk plainly and openly, take questions. But I'm going to lay out some clarity as I've been praying. I've asked the Lord to give me his heart and his burden for these times of how to position ourselves. And in part, I think he has. I've, I've written things out. I've made some decisions. I've communicated to different individuals. And I want to share with you my disposition during this time. Some of you have informed that disposition, and I thank you for your contribution. I thank you for what you've shared with me. I thank you for your prayers. But I think during this time, there's just a position that we need to have. There's a posture that we need to take up. And so for the foreseeable future, I'm, I'm going to seek to share that with you as clearly as I can. It won't be as full as I would like it to be because some things need to unfold. But 7 p.m. tomorrow night, I'm going to share with you what I can. It's not a state of the church or state of the union. It's just me as the pastor of the church sharing what many people have asked for and, and would like to know about us and where we're going and what we're doing, at least for the foreseeable future. And I would like to share as much as I can with that. I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. I'm not trying to make it a bigger deal. I'm just simply saying that that's what I'm going to do. And I would like for you to join me. If you're from Northwest Church, please do join. Yes, we will have it recorded, but I would rather you come live. I would rather you be there live. So 7 p.m. on our Facebook page or through our live stream at our website. Love you guys. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray and impress into selflessness and at the same time asking for the mind of Christ because that is what we need even now. And maybe we recognize more than ever as people. So Father, we thank you today for your word. And we come before you and we ask you, God, that you would give us the mind of Christ. Father, I confess that I allow my divisions to be a stronger voice sometimes than they ought to be. And I ask you to come right now through your Holy Spirit and break through the mindsets, the opinions, the views that we have, not to say none of those matter, but Lord, to show us what is most important. And I believe, God, through your word that you have shown us that our concern for others and their eternal destination, their life uh, in the here and now of being connected to and covered by you, is what is of utmost importance to you. We have other opinions and views, Lord, about America, about our state, about our situation, about what we're facing. Lord, that's going to keep happening throughout our lifetime. But I pray, God, that you would unite your people. Lord, I pray for an uncommon unity. I pray that it would be so powerful and potent that the world would see it, that people that don't know Jesus would see it, and say, I want in on that kind of community. I want to be around those kind of people. I ask, Lord, that you would unite our hearts, not when we agree per se with everything, all the details with one another, but Lord, because we agree so strongly on what is most important. 
And I pray, God, there would be, we would exercise our freedom, our freedom of speech to actually have differing views and opinions at times, but to come into alignment with something that cannot differ and cannot be in disunity. And that love drives us to listen to each other, to learn from each other, to love each other, but of utmost importance to have our allegiance in you. And so we ask for that right now. And God, I just pray over our people. I pray over myself. I pray, God, that the fear that we are facing, that you would dispel the fear. We, we looked at Paul saying he didn't have a fear of death yesterday. And today, Lord, we, we might be facing the fear of death. We might be facing the fear of joblessness. We might be the, facing the fear of what happens to our kids. But Lord, we give that fear into your hands. And we are reminded today that you're our provider, not just financially, but relationally, emotionally, and you give us hope for a future. We know that that comes from you. We do not have to trust just in the systems and the structures to give to us what we think that we need or we want. It does not mean that we're not thankful to be where we are today. But Lord, we ultimately look up to you and we will not deny the fact that you are the one that gives us everything that we need. And you are the one that no matter what country we're in, no matter what the government does, we acknowledge, Lord, that what we need comes from your hand. What we need comes from your mouth. That every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that is what we desire. And so right now we ask you for the mind of Christ. We pray, God, that you would speak to us prophetically. We pray that you would clarify, Lord, the priorities that we are to have right now as a people. And I pray for a unity, Lord. I pray for a unity. I ask for it where it doesn't even look reasonable and it doesn't even look like it's going to happen. I simply pray for a new unity that we would have that we asked for even months ago before all this ever started. But I pray that you would mold us together in your purpose for your glory. I pray you would bless my friends, God. Strengthen us today in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.